0: Luke chapter 19 this is the second part of the message from last Sunday it's a parable that comes in at the end of Zacchaeus exciting salvation there in Jericho Luke chapter 19 and in verse number 9 and Jesus said unto him this day is salvation come to this house for as much as he also "...is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost." And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And he said, "...a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom." And to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds, and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, Then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, thou hast been faithful in a very little. Have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up, that thou layest not down, and reapest, that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up, that I laid not down, and reaping, that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank?" that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath, shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. The message last Sunday morning and this morning are two parts of the same message and both the messages are dealing with the timing of Jesus Christ establishing his kingdom here in this world. Uh, Jesus has uh, come to the end of his ministry, and a lot of people are expecting Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom right now. He is getting ready to leave Jericho and ascend the 17-mile upward trek up to the city of Jerusalem, up in the Judean wilderness, and the Judean mountains. And he's going to enter into Jerusalem. Uh, and it'll be what we call Palm Sunday. And he'll enter into the city with accolades and praises and people are excited about the fact that he is there. And there are a lot of people who believe that he's going to establish his kingdom and he's going to establish it immediately. So there is a fever pitch of excitement amongst the people that had been listening to Jesus preach and teach for the previous three years, three and a half years of His ministry. And and Jesus Christ isn't going to do that at all. That's not the plan. But everyone thinks it's the plan. They're looking for a warrior Messiah who will establish His kingdom in Jerusalem and overthrow Rome. And that's not going to happen. And so they're being set up for a big letdown and uh, a crucifixion instead of a coronation, and his absence rather than his enthronement. And Jesus Christ is working with these people to get them to understand what the timing is for the establishing of his kingdom. And he's going to once again make plain what his plan has been all along. And, and in doing that, he's going to use a parable. Now, when he did finally leave, after his resurrection and meeting with his disciples for a few weeks, and he finally ascended back to heaven, an angel said to the apostles, he's going to come back just like you've seen him go up. And the Old Testament prophet had said he's going to come back to that very spot on the top of the Mount of Olives. And so for 2000 years, people who believe the Bible and who read, study and believe what Jesus Christ taught have been talking about Jesus Christ coming back and establishing a kingdom on earth. But the apostles and the the followers of Jesus Christ there in Jericho are expecting it to happen right now and so for 2000 years Christians have been looking for something scoffers have mocked and continue to mock us for still believing something promised 2000 years ago and in 1st Peter chapter 3 the bible says that in the last days scoffers will mock the christians For still holding on to that old promise of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so the believers believe on, and the scoffers scoff on, and sometimes Christians scratch their heads and wonder, is it really true? Is it really gonna happen? Was I misled? And so it's important for us to understand that Jesus' plan did not fail. The crucifixion was not a shock to God. It it wasn't a mistake. Jesus' plan did not fail, and He's right on schedule. The Old Testament prophet that prophesied that the Messiah would be cut off, and then there would be a period of time between His cutting off and His establishing His kingdom, was right on track. And for 2,000 years we have been looking and praying as the book of Revelation ends with the instruction to we that are followers of Christ, we are to constantly be praying. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I can't think of a better day than today. Be a great day for Jesus Christ to catch away His own and plunge the world into the cave. Seven-year tribulation period, and then to return back to earth and set his feet on the Mount of Olives and establish his kingdom. Well, that's, that's going to be a grand and glorious when that occurs. It's important for us to understand that Jesus Christ is working right on schedule. Now, let's just a, just a little bit of a review from last week because what's happening jesus is in jericho and he's and he's getting ready to use a, a parable to teach something but if you don't understand what the people understood when they heard the parable the first time it's easy to miss What Jesus is intending to convey to us. So just a little bit of a review via PowerPoint here. The historical story and historical story had occurred in the around the time of Jesus birth and his early childhood. It's a historical event that was well known to everyone in Jericho. And it was the backdrop for what Jesus Christ is going to tell as a parable. You see, there was a guy in Rome whose name was Caesar Augustus. He was the emperor of the Roman Empire. And in one of their outlying areas, the area of Israel, uh, they had a puppet king that was ruling Israel for Rome. His name was Herod the Great. We talked a bit about him last week. When he died, he was the one that was alive when Jesus was born and had all the babies massacred in Bethlehem. And Israel, the Jews hated the Herods. Herod, when he died, he left three sons and left each of them a portion of his kingdom. He stated it in his will, but Herod didn't have the authority to do that. That's the it's the authority of Caesar Augustus in Rome that makes those decisions. So Herod the Great divided the land of Israel up into three parts, put in his will that he wanted his sons to have these parts, and. Archelaus, Herod Archelaus, was his son that was to get the part of Israel where Jerusalem and Jericho are located, down in the southern part in Judea. And so, in order for the son, Herod Archelaus, to become the ruler of the area of Jerusalem and Jericho, he had to travel to Rome to talk to Caesar and to get Caesar's permission and authority to rule over his own land. Now, Archelaus lived in Israel. As a matter of fact, he had built a palace in Jericho. And so he lived in Jericho, and uh, he's going to rule his own land where he lives, but he has to have the authority of Caesar to be able to do that. So he leaves and he goes to get Caesar Augustus to give him, Herod Archelaus, the authority to reign over his own land, the southern part of Israel. Well, the Jews hated Herod Archelaus as much as they hated his dad. And so they got a delegation of Jews together and they sent that delegation to trail Archelaus to Rome. So when Archelaus got to Rome, this delegation was there as well. And they... Beg Caesar, don't let that man reign over us. We didn't like his dad. We don't like him. Please, don't make him your puppet king in our country. But Caesar Augustus gave deference to the will of Caesar. He only wouldn't allow Herod's sons to have the title king. He gave them other political titles. But nonetheless, Archelaus comes back and rules. So he goes back. And when he gets back to rule his people, he hunts down the, the delegation and he murders the delegation that had tried to keep him from being king and all of their families. He also uh, uh, had put to death uh, 3,000 Jews in order to strike fear in their hearts That they better do what he tells them to do. He is a political person to be reckoned with. And so he massacred 3,000 Jews when he got back to Jericho. Now, this all happened in the lifetime of these people who are living in the day of Jesus. Jesus was a boy in Nazareth when all of that happened. And so here we are now, some 30 years later, Jesus is ending his ministry. He's in Jericho and... And the people have vivid in their memory this political story that it occurred. So, let's jump to the next slide. Jesus has ended His ministry and He's come down from the region of Galilee. He's here in Jericho and He's about ready to make that 17-mile journey up into the mountains where He will stop at Bethany and then ride a donkey into Jerusalem to the accolades of all the people. Hosanna, Son of David! Establish your kingdom. And that is all going to happen tomorrow. But the day, his last day in Jericho, he meets a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a, was a traitor to Israel. He, was, he had made himself very wealthy by stealing from his own countrymen, As he collected Roman taxes to send back to Rome. That's what a publican was. And he was the chief of all the publicans. And he had become very wealthy. He is a traitor. He is a hated man by his own people in Jericho. Whom he had fleeced and become wealthy on. But something was going on in Zacchaeus' life. And Zacchaeus wants to meet Jesus. You know the story. Jesus met him, called him down from the tree. Zacchaeus got saved, which gave Jesus the opportunity to make a statement of what his purpose was. His purpose was not to establish a kingdom in Jerusalem. His That's going to come way down the road. His purpose in his first coming was to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come as a warrior king. To overthrow Rome. He came to seek and to save lost people. And give them the gift of eternal life. And so Jesus Christ in this passage in verse number 10. Having just saved Zacchaeus from his sin. Jesus established again in the minds of his followers. Listen to me. Listen to me. I know you guys think I'm going to start a kingdom. I'm not going to start a kingdom. The very next verse says that as soon as Jesus had said what he said in verse 10, he then added a parable because he was getting ready to go up to Jerusalem and the people thought he was going to establish the kingdom immediately. So the parable joins together Jesus' purpose statement. I came to seek and to save the lost. And what they thought he was going to do when he got to Jericho, thinking he was going to establish his kingdom. The parable has to do with Jesus' purpose and their misunderstanding of an immediate kingdom. Let's go to the next slide. And um, let's jump over there to the next slide. And so, um, let's go ahead. So, the parable is going to have two acts. The first act in the parable that Jesus tells... And a parable is is a story that everyone is very familiar with that Jesus uses to teach a spiritual truth. So act one has has this nobleman going to a far country to be able to receive authority to reign over his land. And then there's a second act. Is that the next one? The second act in the story will be coming back to rule over his land and dealing with the enemies that he had in the land. So it is a mirror of what they had experienced in the story of the Herodian dynasty, and so Jesus Christ passing through. Uh, do we have those pictures of uh, of Jericho? Jesus is is uh, has come through the old Jericho. He's come through Herodian Jericho. He's going to take this road to Jerusalem, and go right by the palaces of the Herodi of the Herod kings. Go ahead to the next slide. Uh, as you see, the road to Jerusalem had Herod's first palace. His uh, second palace, third palace, all of their administration. I mean, Jericho was the was the vacation capital. It was the place to go during the winter months. And so the, the Herodian dynasty built all of their stuff there. And so as Jesus Christ has just saved Zacchaeus somewhere uh, leaving Jerusalem on this road uh, or leaving Jericho on the road to Jerusalem, they're right in the midst of Herod's stuff. And everyone's thinking of Herod and how much they hate Herod. And with all of that in the background, Jesus Christ tells a story that's going to bring to that together a right understanding of Jesus' evangelistic first coming and his future warrior second coming down the road someday. So, uh, slide number, let's see, I think I've, I've stepped through the slides, haven't I? I lost my place there. Uh, sorry about that, Jamie. Now the parable is very simple. If you look in your Bibles, in verse number, uh, verse number 12, he says, Therefore a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And so, uh, Jesus is using the story to speak of himself. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna go away to a far country and, and I'm going to get permission. I'm gonna get the authority to come back and establish a kingdom, to establish my kingdom in Israel. But I'm going to go to a far country, and uh, and before he leaves, he calls his servants together, and he and he gives servants a responsibility. Now remember, the story is a nobleman. This guy's wealthy. He has influence. He has uh, enterprise. He has uh, things that he does. And, and he's got a, a, a group of people who who serve him, employees that he employs to serve him. While he goes to a far country, he's been gone for a long time, he gets his staff together. He gets his servants together. He gets all the f- people that are a part of his uh, affairs together. And he gives them their assignments of what they're to do while he's gone. While he's away, in the far country, he wants his servants to work towards extending his affairs. So he gives each of them resources. He gives them each a pound. That would be about three months' salary in that time. So he gives each of them uh, about three months' wages, and he gives them some responsibility. You're to take that which I've given you, and you're to advance my cause. You're, to, you're, you're not to use this to advance your life. You're to use this to advance my affairs my work my enterprise and uh, later on when i come back uh, i'll you you'll give an account to me uh, but and so he left he goes to a far country and the bible says that uh, uh, that the the servants are going to uh, occupy till he comes back or trade and and uh, use his resources for his affairs until the, till he returns verse 14 says but his citizens hated him then that's not the servants The citizens were the populace of the people that lived there, that he's going to rule over when he gets permission to do so. So we see the nobleman has his own servants. They're loyal to him, but he also has a group of people who live there who hate him. They're his enemies. They don't want him to rule over them. They don't want him to be successful in bringing back the authority to establish his kingdom. And so he's got these enemies and and uh, they are working against him. We will have we will not have this man rule over us. Now, that that was act 1 of the of the story Jesus told. And then act 2 of the story is in verse number 15 when he returns. And it came to pass that when he was returned having received the kingdom, Then he brought his his servants together to give an account and he deals with the people and the effectiveness of their work, what they accomplished during his absence. Now, that's the gist of what this parable is all about. Now, what is your part in this story? Where do you fit in? Jesus is telling this story because he wants... The people listening to him to understand where they fit in the plan and purpose of God. Jesus' plan didn't fail. He's right on schedule. And each person listening to him then and each person thinking about it now have a part in the enterprise of Jesus Christ while he's away, gaining the authority to come back and establish his kingdom in the language of the story here. So we need to find our part. How do we find our part? Well, let's think just for a few moments about the uh, about act number one. Act number one: Jesus Christ died and left Earth. He's not here. That that's what he planned to do. That was always the plan. That wasn't an accident. Wasn't a mistake. He died on the cross of Calvary for the sins of the world, and he left, and he went back to heaven, and he's gone. Now he has servants that he leaves. On this earth during his absence. Who are his servants? Well, his servants would be those who follow him. Those who are loyal to him. Those who believe in him. And they feel loyal to him. Who are his citizens that don't want him to reign. Those would be the unsaved people in the world that hate Jehovah God. That hate Jesus Christ. They have no respect for him. They do not like him. They do not like his morality. They do not like his opinions. They do not like what he says is right and wrong. They do not like his absolute truth. So they don't want him to be successful in coming back and establishing a kingdom on earth. They don't want this man to reign over us on earth. Now, you are in that Part one, that act one somewhere, you are amongst the servants or you're amongst the enemies as Jesus Christ spends time away in a far country. By the way, the enemies wouldn't even speak of the nobleman by name or in any kind of a respectful title. The enemies said, we will not have this man reign over us. We will not have this man rule over us. I think of people that use Jesus Christ's name as a curse word. Who blaspheme him. Who have no, no concern for him at all. They're enemies of the cause of Christ. And, and they don't want Jesus Christ to rule and to reign over mankind well let's let's jump into the meaning of act two what is act two all about well you see on your little handout that there are uh, two groups of servants Uh, there are servants who are similar amongst themselves and then there's a servant who is very different than the two that are similar In verse number 16, the Bible says that Jesus Christ uh, comes back. It comes to pass, comes back, establishes kingdom. He calls them together. Verse number 16, then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. This is precious. Here's the accountability. Jesus now back at his second coming. He comes back at his second coming, which is yet future for us. He's going to establish his kingdom on earth. He's going to call all of his servants over the last 2000 years together. And he's going to ask, What did you do with the resources I left you with? And what did you accomplish for the furtherance of my kingdom work while I was away? And, and this servant comes back and this servant says, thy pound hath gained 10 pounds. This is a, this is a great producer. This servant number one. He's taken that three months' worth of salary and he's multiplied it tenfold in the time that the nobleman was gone. And this speaks to those followers of Jesus Christ who have received resources from God with the instruction to fulfill our responsibility with these resources. And when we give an account, we find that the resources he gave us multiplied amazingly. Now, this, what are the resources? What was the pound, the three-month wages? When Jesus told this story, what was Jesus considering? Well, remember what He just said His purpose was. His purpose was to seek and to save the lost. And so He gives to His servants resources to enable them to reach unsaved people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now he gave each of the servants the same thing, the same amount. So this couldn't be spiritual giftedness because some people are more gifted than others. This, this couldn't have to do with opportunities. Some have opportunities that are large and others have opportunities that are, that are much smaller. Uh, some live in an area where there's not a lot of unsafe people. They may be in the middle of a desert. And some people live in a in downtown some big city where there's thousands of unsafe people. This couldn't be opportunity. It couldn't be ability. It couldn't be spiritual giftedness. Because all those are varied. But there's one thing that every one of us has the exact same amount of. It's time. There's not a one of us that has one minute longer in a day than the others of us. We all have equal time, and there's something else we all have that is exactly the same for each of us. We each have the gospel, and I don't have more of the gospel than you, and you don't have more of the gospel than I. I've got the same amount that you've got, and Jesus Christ has given us time, and the resource of the gospel, And one day when I stand before him, he's going to ask me, what did you do with your time in getting the gospel to unsaved people? Because my purpose is to seek and to save that which is lost. See, the parable has to fit the context. The context is Jesus said, this is my purpose He sends the servants out in his absence to extend his work in his absence. And when he comes back at the end, which will be at the second coming of Christ, his servants will give an accounting of how they used the resources they were given and what those resources produced in accord with his purpose of seeking and saving unsaved people. So the first servant comes back. Wow, he doesn't say, "Look what I did, Lord! Look at all the notches I got on my Bible. These are all the people I got saved." I, boy, I tell you, man, Lord, you, whew, I did a good job with my time and the gospel. No, he said very humbly, "Thy pound hath gained ten pounds." God, this is miraculous. This is amazing. God, look what you did. Look what you did, Lord. Your pound has multiplied tenfold in the salvation of souls through my life. God, your pound has done amazing, marvelous, wonderful things. And so Jesus commends him. The commendation is given. Jesus Christ says to the individual in verse number 17. Well, thou good servant. I like that. That's a commendation. Jesus is going to commend us when we stand before Him one day and give an account for how we used the time we had at our disposal and the gospel we had in our hands. How much did we produce in the salvation of souls through time and the gospel? And we're going to say, Lord, it's amazing. I gave out some tracts. I witnessed. I told my testimony. I, God, it's amazing what you did through all of that. And Jesus is going to say, good job. You are a good and a faithful servant. Way to go. And he makes a commendation. But not only a commendation, he also rewards him. He says, I'm going to give you authority over ten cities. Now remember, the parable is a story about a king coming back, a nobleman coming back, establishing a kingdom over a people group. A geography and people group. And so he says to his servant, I'm going to give you ten cities here in Judea. I'm going to give you ten cities in this geographic area. You're going to be the mayor of ten cities. You're going to be the governor of ten cities. You're going to have the authority to rule. What's Jesus saying? In the millennial kingdom, when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom on earth, and you and I give an account to him for how well we use time to get the gospel to save unsaved people, he's going to reward us, and the reward is commensurate to the productivity don't miss that. Jesus is speaking very specifically. Your reward will be commensurate to the productivity you experienced on earth. How did you use the time and the gospel to get souls saved? And depending on how productive you were, you will be given positions, influence, Authority, responsibility in the kingdom of God to be able to serve him in his kingdom. You know, the Bible talks about that. First Corinthians, chapter six, verse two, the Bible says, do do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? The Bible says in Second Timothy two twelve, we shall also reign with him. Revelation 20, verse 4 says, I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them and they lived and reigned with him a thousand years. What are we going to do during the kingdom? Well, it all depends on what we're doing now. Because what we're doing now is going to determine what we will be doing then. What we're doing now will determine what we will be doing then. Because the reward is commensurate to the productivity of how we used the time God gave us and the gospel God gave us to further His cause of seeking and saving that which was lost. Now, there's a second servant in verse number 18. The second came saying, "Lord, thy pound i gained five pounds." Now, you notice he, he, he didn't produce as much, did he? He didn't produce as much. We're not we're not all the same. We have different abilities and talents and, and opportunities. We're not all the same. But the second servant, he took the same the same resource, time and the gospel. He had the same amount as the guy that that uh, produced 10 pounds and he produced 5 pounds. You say, I bet Jesus said, I uh, yeah, did all right. You know, wish you could have been more like him. No, what did Jesus say to him? Jesus, the Bible says in verse 19, and he said, likewise. You see that? He said, likewise. Same commendation. Same good job. You use your time to get the gospel to unsaved people. Maybe not as many people prayed and asked Jesus to save them as a result of the tract you gave out as got saved. As a result of somebody else's work. But you, you were after it. You knew the purpose of Jesus is to seek and to save that which was lost. You knew that Jesus is going to a far country and He's going to come back one day and establish His kingdom. You knew that in His absence, you have resources and responsibility. Responsibility to do what? To extend His purpose. What's His purpose? To seek and to save that which is lost. And so you know you've got the responsibility to take the resources and to do the work of reaching a world that needs Jesus Christ with the get the, get the gospel to that world that needs Jesus Christ. And so you may not have resulted in as many professions of faith, but if you were after it, if you were serious, if you were serving, if you were working to extend the master's purpose, the master will say, good job. Good job. And you'll be rewarded. And the reward will be commensurate to the amount of the product productivity. You had the character. You had the ability. To, you had the giftedness. You had the personality. You had the spiritual gifts. You had, you had what it took to, to be able to accomplish this much. Well, then, then you can handle that in the kingdom. Five cities. You probably couldn't handle ten cities. With your particular person, the way I made you, the way I created you, you probably couldn't handle the responsibility of ruling over ten cities. But based on your productivity, I know you have the capability of ruling over five cities. And so I reward you with a position. You see, in the kingdom, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. And what we do in reigning with Christ, It's what he's dealing with in this parable. It depends on how well we have used resource to fulfill responsibility in the period of time in which he was absent and he left us here to extend his affairs in his absence. And so servant number two was rewarded. But then something strange happens. Verse number 20. Verse number 20 says. And another came. Now, this, this, is, this has an interesting twist to it. This is a horse of a different color. This is a different kind of a servant. You see, the word another, there are two words. Excuse me for the just a little bit of technical here. But there are two words in the Greek language that are both translated another. But they don't mean the same thing. Our English language Uses the word another to translate both. One means another of a different kind. And one means another of the same kind. They play on each other in Galatians chapter 1. When when Paul wrote the Galatians and says, I'm just so shocked that you have rejected the gospel for another gospel, which is not another gospel. And you say, what? You rejected the gospel for another gospel, which is not another gospel. That's because there's different words being used, but the English only translates it one way. You have rejected the gospel for another gospel of a different kind, which is not another gospel of the same kind. It's only one gospel. Anything else that professes to be a gospel that's different from the gospel is not another gospel of the same kind. It's another gospel of a different kind. And they had rejected the gospel of truth and embraced a gospel of heresy. And that's what the book of Galatians was all about. Well, this word here is another servant of a different kind. This is someone who professes to be a servant. But when the chips are down, he's not another servant of the same kind. He's another servant of a different kind. You can see that in his attitude toward the gospel. He took the gospel that God had given him, the resource, and he put it in a napkin. That's a that's a little piece of cloth. That's a a rag that they were a worker back in that culture would use to wipe the sweat off their brow he wrapped it up in a napkin that shows how much he valued the resource that had been given to him i'm told from those who understood that culture that if someone had something they considered valuable that they wanted to set aside and protect for a future day, they would never wrap it up in a rag and just leave it there. They would bury it where only they knew where it was. The fact that this guy just wrapped it up in a napkin is an, shows an attitude where he did not consider the gospel to be of value to him. We also see he's a... Servant of a different kind by his attitude toward God. His attitude toward God in verse number 21. In verse number 21 he says, I I knew you were an austere man. That means a hard man. A mean man. I knew you were a demanding man. His attitude toward Jesus Christ. He didn't view Jesus Christ with compassion. He didn't view Jesus Christ as someone who had grace and mercy. He viewed Jesus Christ as austere, demanding, someone who was hard, someone you, you, you couldn't hardly please him. He was a rough man. He had an attitude toward Jesus as this kind of a person. He also shows his attitude toward Jesus when he said, Thou layest down, thou takest up but thou layest not down. You ever walked along and you saw something laying there? Maybe a, you saw someone, a phone. You didn't put it down there. It wasn't yours. You didn't lay it there. But you saw it. You looked around. And you took it up. What you didn't lay down. What would we call that? We'd call that a thief. Here's the attitude of this servant toward Jesus Christ. He says, he says, you will go out and you will reap a field that you never sowed. You'll go steal somebody else's harvest. You see, this is a servant of a different kind. This is a kind of a person that goes to church and they act like a Christian and and they they went through some ceremonies and rituals and and they say that they believe some things. But do they value the gospel enough to give it to somebody who needs it? No. Gospel means nothing to them. How do they view God? Man, he's strict. You ever read the Ten Commandments? You know what he requires of us? You know when he says what, is, what we're not supposed to do and what we're supposed to do? He's a rough God. He's a demanding God. As a matter of fact, he's more concerned about himself than he is us. He'll take stuff, he's not giving and generous. You see, this servant of a different kind, his attitude toward the gospel, his attitude toward Jesus. And then when you see Jesus' judgment, Jesus just takes the guy at his word. He says, "Okay, if that's what you think, then I'm going to judge you on the basis of what you think of me. I'm going to judge you out of the words of your own mouth. That's what you think I am? Take away from him what I gave him. You know, there's a day coming. Jesus told about it in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was early in his Galilean ministry. Now we're right on the verge of Palm Sunday. And earlier, Jesus Christ said, There'll be many that will say to me at that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not teach Sunday school classes in your name? Lord, Lord, did we not do many wonderful works in your name? Lord, Lord, I, I, I believe in you. And Jesus said, I'll say unto them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Not, I knew you and then forgot you. Or, I saved you and then you lost it. He said, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You acted like my servant. You claimed some things, but we never had a relationship. You were never really my servant, take it from him and give it to someone who use it for the purpose for which I gave it. And then, in closing the parable, he said, bring those enemies. Bring those enemies. You, you know the guys that lived in that area that said we don't want him to rule? Jesus Christ is going to gather those together who hated him. Those human beings on earth that fought against him through the tribulation period. All the people on earth that defied him and didn't want him to rule over them. There's a lot of people like that in America today. Don't tell me what to do with my body. If you look closely at the words in this story. Jesus Christ spoke of his enemies, his citizens. He said, verse 27, but those mine enemies, which would not have me rule over them. Do you understand every person that's alive on earth belongs to Jesus Christ? Every person, do you know that the one who's the most vocal in defying Jesus Christ is owned by Jesus Christ. They are his because he created them. And he said, Bring mine enemies and slay them before me. You read about that in the book of Revelation. You read about the judgment of Jesus Christ that's coming upon a world of Christ rejectors who meet their final doom. Where are you in this story? Are you like the servant who knows that you have seven days every week and 24 hours in every one of those days? And you have the gospel? You know the gospel? And you're Using time to get the gospel to unsaved people. And maybe some will get more results than others get. But the Word of God doesn't return void. And the work of evangelism is happening. Or are you like the servant of a different kind? Just, I'm a Christian. And the reality is the gospel doesn't mean anything to you. You don't care about unsaved people. You wouldn't invest any time or energy in getting the gospel to unsaved people. There's a a very difficult day ahead for that kind of person. I doubt that there's anyone here like the enemies that would curse the name of Jesus Christ and say, I will not have him reign over me. But if there were someone like that, there's a rough day ahead. A rough day ahead. Oh, to catch the heart of Jesus Christ. I'm not here to start a kingdom right now, guys. Stop thinking about me as a warrior king to overthrow Rome. That's not why I came. I'll come back later and do that. But for right now, I'll tell you why I'm here. To seek and to save the lost. And I'm going to go away. I'll be gone for a long time, but while I'm gone, I need you to extend my interests in the world. So when I come back to establish my kingdom, there are a host of people who are ready to come into that kingdom. What can you do to put this into practice? At both the front foyer and the fellowship hall, There are stacks of true life cards and find hope tracks. You know, the easiest thing, the the less embarrassing thing, if, if you get nervous about confronting someone about their soul. The easiest thing that you can do to start being a servant to extend the gospel is to pick up a pack of those true life cards. There's five of them in a pack. Pick up some of those find hope tracks and leave here with the purpose on your heart. I'm going to be a servant to Jesus Christ this week. And when I stand before him someday out in the future and give an account for what I did with time and the gospel, I'm going to be able to say. I did what I could. And I just pray that there are people in heaven today. Because I did what I could to get the gospel to them.